travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Travel is one of life's great eye-openers, teaching us about other cultures and many often unexpected things about ourselves. Some of us are fortunate enough to travel often as children, providing us with this insight at an early age. Others worried that once a baby is on the way, that's the end of their ability to travel often and enjoy themselves. As neither of your Talk Travel Asia co-hosts have children of their own, we've invited an expert on to share her years on the road traveling with children in Asia. This is Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, and I am joined again today with Scott Coates from Bangkok, Thailand. What's going on, Scott? It is a rainy, misty day here. It's been raining solid for about 12 hours, but uh, happy to be having this conversation. I'm glad you found our guest because it is fun to talk to people about things that we're not specifically knowledgeable about. So I'm curious, Trevor, what kind of traveling did you do as a kid? Yeah, all the traveling. I mean, when I was a kid, my parents took us all over the place all the time. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've always wanted to have kids and I always thought about how I would travel with kids because of my experience um, doing so. Uh, but I, yeah, I was very lucky. We traveled often. Um, I grew up in, in Vermont and in the winters, it's really cold. So my parents would just be like, hey, we're off to Bermuda or the Bahamas or Jamaica or Hawaii or Venezuela. Like we cool. went to anywhere that there was a nice beach and we could forget about snow for a week or so. You know, I've seen all the photo albums. I can remember fractions of each different experience. Um, but I'm certain that it made a huge impression on me and, and shaped the person who I was or have become because I was exposed to so many different cultures and languages and religions and food as a child um, that by the time I, I became an adult and, and started traveling to exotic lands on my own, I don't think such experiences were so daunting for me because I had been raised to have those types of, of experiences. Yeah, you had a bit more international travel than I did. I think we traveled mostly domestically in Canada as a kid. So it was nearby cities or parks. I remember we did a lot of camping in the summer. And we did go to Disney World in Florida when I think I was about three or four. Made it to Los Angeles, I think, when I was 17. And when I was around 10 years old, I think we went to the Costa del Sol in southern Spain. But travel was definitely something that was, was part of my life, particularly in summers and holiday seasons, mostly again, domestically, but my parents weren't afraid to go internationally, but it was kind of the more mainstream spots for, for Canadians at that time. But uh, yeah, I, I do remember traveling and it was something to not be scared of and a good thing to expand your horizons. Yeah. You know, again, like I, I've always wanted to have kids and I always imagined traveling with my kids. And I became a travel guidebook writer for many years. So I had an idea years ago to develop travel guidebooks specifically for children, you know, like a little pocket guidebook cool. that would come bundled yeah. with your regular guidebook that would be specific to kid, kid-friendly language, stickers, you know, activities to like what animals can you find at the beach in Thailand or something like that. I pitched it to a number of publishers. No one was interested in producing content for children, clearly way too far ahead of the curve as usual. 
Um, but now that there's the technology, apparently, like our guest today, who's got a travel blog, can uh, get that information directly to you on your smartphone while you're in the developing world. So things have changed a lot, but I, it seems like it's easier than ever, perhaps now to travel with kids. Yeah, I think you're onto something with those guides, and I am interested to learn uh, from the expert on this. But just before we get to her, remember, we have patrons. Those are lovely people that help Trevor and I cover the costs of keeping the show running, keeping it online. So if you're listening, you like it. In addition to giving us a nice rating on the platform, please click the donate button on our website or go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and you'll get something special in between these regular episodes. Recently, I shared a photo show of my wife and I trip up to Chalong and Krache in Cambodia, as well as Siem Reap. So that gave some insight into that trip. So make sure you become a patron. Otherwise, let's get into it with Allison. <coughs> as a travel blogger and published okay, and writer, including a popular book about why she loves homeschooling and is therefore also well known in alternative education circles. After gaining her degree in zoology and comparative psychology, she went on to become a chief medical scientist in London hospitals before switching to blog creation, full-time motherhood, and the combination of the two culminating in World Travel Family Blog. There, she shares her experience traveling or backpacking with kids for over six years, mostly in South and Southeast Asia, but has also written about travel to Asia, China, Tibet, Mongolia, and the Indian subcontinent. Okay, so I understand that you're joining us from Queensland, which is your home there. Why don't you share a bit about us, uh, some of your background, where you're from originally, and what your first travel experience was in Asia? Oh, wow, that's going back a long time. I'm actually from Wales, UK. Um, I ended up marrying an Australian who I actually met in Asia, in Egypt. Well, part of Egypt is in Asia, not all of it. I moved to Australia about 15 years ago. And we were here for a couple of years with small children, and then we kind of got a bit fed up with it and decided to take them travelling. So we were travelling around mostly in Asia for six and a half years or so, and then we got stuck behind closed borders um, at lockdown. So we've been stuck in Australia now for just over two years, unable to go anywhere, really, and we've just kind of had to adapt to that. But yeah, my first Asia experience was, I think I went to Thailand first. I went on a trekking tour in, in North Thailand um, by myself on, with, a, with a group tour set up. That was really good. And I just always wanted to go back all the time. I wanted to be in Asia constantly. And I knew it would be really good for the kids. It would be a great experience for them. They'd learn a lot. They'd enjoy a lot. Um, it would be a very affordable place to travel. And I knew exactly what the lifestyle was like because I'd done it with my husband. We did a, a 12-month RTW when we were a young couple. Uh, we knew what the lifestyle was like. And we knew the kids would get a lot out of it. So that's what we did. Very cool. So we're obviously chatting about family travel today. And I'm wondering, you mentioned, I think, that the first family trip was Thailand. But what prompted you to decide, you know what, we're going to be a traveling family. We're going to take these kids on the road sort of full time. Where did you go and when was that? It was... 2012 that we made the decision to do it and I think we left the next early the next year 2013 and it was it was mostly to give the kids um, more exposure to the world because where we are in Queensland we're very remote um, there's not much cultural diversity you know it's it's um, it's as you imagine Australia to be but we, we can't we can't go anywhere in a car you know because everything's miles away it's 24 hours to our nearest airport and we used to drive that fairly often. Yeah, we just thought they, they should be exposed to the world. They should have all these experiences that my husband and I had already had and enjoyed and thought they were great. We thought the kids would enjoy it as much 
Um, we also thought it'd just be a great lifestyle and so much cheaper than living at home because obviously you're paying the big bills and the, the electricity and the mortgage and running a car. We found it was much cheaper to be on the road, particularly in um, Southeast Asia. And over the course of time, I got the, the websites earning quite nicely. So it was, it was affordable and we could continue indefinitely. And I think we would have if, um, if it hadn't been for COVID. I think we would probably still be out there, even though the kids now are almost grown. Cool. Okay, so you touched on a couple of the benefits there, maybe, you know, exposing your children to different cultures and uh, somehow making it more affordable, which we'll touch on maybe in a minute. But uh, what are some of the other benefits to traveling with children and, and, and perhaps maybe a couple of drawbacks? When you travel with your kids, obviously, you're, both parents aren't going to be working. So you just have so much more time with them. I've, I've literally spent my entire children's lives with them. I don't think I've ever been away from them for more than a few hours. So we've had all that time. We've had all the um, educational benefits of them uh, just seeing different ways of life, different climates, different uh, cuisines, religions, diversity. You know, all that diversity that's going on out there that they, they, they couldn't even imagine, I don't think. Because you see, you come across so many misconceptions from people who've never been to a place and you can't really understand what it's like until you have been there yourself and prejudice I don't like prejudice I wanted them to not have any of that and I saw that creeping in because my, my eldest son was in school for a little while about a year and a half and he was coming home with racist comments and he was getting that from school and I, I didn't want that I didn't want that at all so we got them out there and we showed them what it was really like I just think it's good for them in every possible way in in contact with their parents, um, contact with really diverse people, I mean, from all walks of life, uh, local people and other travellers, uh, different ages. I don't think kids should really be kept in same age groups. I think kids should interact with adults and babies and whoever happens to be around. You know, I think that's better for them than just operating on that level of, say, all eight-year-olds. I think that's how will they progress to a more mature sort of level without hanging out with adults. And the, course they did they you know some of their friends are older people benefits uh yeah it was affordable they had a lot more time with their dad because their dad was always in work um he's a chef so he even worked christmas day they made new friends we got to meet lots of different friends from all over the world we've got some very good friends in london that we met through travel we've got very good friends in bulgaria we've got uh, a whole community in romania we lived on and off in romania for three years um but that's not asia drawbacks i I really can't think of any drawbacks. Uh, I mean, in terms of what you can do with kids rather than as a young couple, yeah, you've got to adapt a bit. You can't really go out partying and I wouldn't take them on the roof of the bus, that sort of thing. We used to do that when we were younger. Um, you, you have to be a bit more safety conscious and really look out for them. Your, your attention is on the kids the whole time. And I, but I think as a parent, that's, that's what you do most of the time anyway. So um, I, no drawbacks to me. They enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. No, can't think of any. Do you have any drawbacks? Do you think there would be drawbacks? Well, as, as neither Scott nor I have kids, I don't know that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think maybe everything, everything would be a drawback for, for the two of us. No, but that was good. And you touched on maybe yeah. our next question, too. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you could tell us what age were your kids when you started these six years of life on the road? And what were some of the different considerations you had to make? you know, traveling with maybe, I don't know, young young people and then 
tweens and teens and so forth? Like what were some of those changes and considerations through their growing up? It undoubtedly got easier as they got older. Um, but there were six and eight when we left. So they, were, they weren't so little that I was worried about them putting everything in their mouth and touching things and getting diseases. I wasn't that concerned about that, although that obviously did take mm-hmm. quite a bit of supervision. Like when we were traveling around India on the trains, I was always saying, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, get your feet off the seats, you know. <laughs> As they got older, they obviously became more sensible and more self-contained in that they they would read more. I mean, when we first started, I don't think my younger son was actually reading for pleasure. I think that came a few years in. The elder one was, and he's always been a bookworm, but that came as they got older. And if you've got a child that reads on a bus or a train or a plane, you're sorted, you're laughing. You know, Harry Potter (laughs) and Rick Reardon, they were our best friends. As they get older, you do more adventurous things. We took them to Everest Base Camp when they were, I think they were 12 and 14. Obviously, you wouldn't do that with a six-year-old. I've taken my son as an older child, as my sort of assistant, because this is my job, this is what I do. He flies the drone and he's actually come on work trips with me. We did one in Borneo, um, a lot of trekking and staying with uh, tribes in the jungle. He was old enough for that. I wouldn't have done that with younger kids. Things like bedtimes and routines, we've never done any of that. That's not how we roll at all. It, It just didn't work for us. We all just go to bed when we want to go to bed and we wake up when we want to wake up you know it's not we're not trying to get the kids to bed and read them bedtime stories at a certain time and we've, we've never done that we've always just gone with the flow so that was never an issue if you were taking much younger kids the ones that still need naps and um feeds at certain times yeah that that's hard work nappies no way would i travel with kids still in nappies i mean i've done it mm-hmm. but it, it's hard work I'd, I'd wait until they're old enough to at least walk <laughs> walk for themselves so you don't have to carry them and not need those naps or be cranky you know because once they're past about six you don't get those cranky episodes because they're tired they're easy okay. they're, they're just easy they're, they're, they really are easy they're easy boys um as they get older of course it gets very expensive because um the airlines give you a discount up to about 12 years old on kids a lot of hotels you get free stays for kids under 12 some hotels go a bit older but it's usually around 12 admission costs in Asia they tend to go on size if the child is below the level of the counter they're free if they're taller you have to pay for them as an adult (laughs) so Mm -hmm. my boys being taller than most of the Asian kids they they had to pay adult price from quite early on and I was like but he's only 10 (laughs) no he had to pay yeah with the little ones as well you you, sometimes you don't have to pay for a a bus ticket if they'll sit on your lap you don't have to pay for them so Ah. Things like that were easy, particularly in Laos, all those buses in Laos. I think we don't think we ever paid for the kids there. Food's been easy. They're good eaters. They'll eat anything. They love Vietnamese food. They love Thai food. Very diverse palates, which I think is good for them. You're not going to raise a picky eater on the road. Yeah, no, I think it's all been very good for them. That, that's interesting. That actually, you, you brought up something that uh, I think touches on a couple of points I wanted to discuss. Number one was what what style of travel works best with kids and the way it seems to me from what you're saying is that you know you you have to have some flexibility in your travel maybe you have to be willing to 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 rough it a little bit which which kind of segues into my next question is like sort of what type of parents work best with travel with their kids because like when you say you will let your kids go to sleep at any point like many parents probably wouldn't allow that like they would want to be more regimented or they would want to be more controlling with their kids which would probably make it more difficult to travel did you kind of feel some of that 
Yeah, I think it would be. It would be a lot harder. Um, some of the questions I get asked are things like, how do you cope with all four of you being in a hotel room? That sort of thing. And we, we get the term date nights being thrown at us and think, we, we don't do that. We don't, mm. we, we've always functioned as a unit of four. And um, it depends on the child. A lot depends on the nature of your individual child. And no two children are the same. My two have been easy. I've got a friend who's got a very autistic child. She can't even take him to an airport. You can't handle it. She hasn't been anywhere for 17 years. It depends. You know, children are all on this, this spectrum of differentness. Um, mine have been fine with it. Some kids need routine. And again, that's more towards the autism end. They have to have routine and they get freaked out if there isn't a routine and they don't know where they're going and what's happening next and, you know, what time am I doing this? We, we haven't had that as an issue, but I've seen it in some kids. Some kids don't enjoy travelling. Some kids like the security and um, normality of being at home. I've, I've heard from people who've taken their kids travelling and the kids didn't enjoy it at all. But I can't predict that, you know. It's, you've just got to know your kids and know what makes them happy. So my kids don't like beaches. Um, they like snorkelling and looking at reefs and things, but they've got no interest in beaches, sand, swimming pools even, not interested. And a lot of people when they consider you know, family vacation, that's what they feel they need to provide for their kids. And not all kids enjoy that. I know my mum was always taking me to the beach. I never liked the beach. I just don't enjoy it. We live on a beach now. We never go. Also, you've got to throw in things that make the kids happy. So you throw in lots of ice cream. You throw in theme parks, which they love. And with my job, we've always been able to get admissions for those all over the world. There's some great ones in Asia. You just do the things that the kids enjoy. Like I'm not going to be able to drag my kids around an art museum for very long. I mean, we've got to, we've got to, we've taken them to quite a few art museums, but you've got to, you can't do what mum and dad necessarily want to do. You have to moderate it to make it work for the kids. So we can do half an hour in a really cool art museum. You know, we can't push it and push it because they're just going to be bored. Yeah, knowing what floats their boat, that's, that's the key, I think. And I knew, I knew we, they could get to Everest Base Camp. I knew they'd enjoy that challenge. But um, some kids wouldn't. Some kids would not want to walk for three weeks. So it's, it's, it's knowing your audience, I think. Yeah, it's interesting telling your kids, hey, everyone, we're going to walk for three weeks. But <laughs> uh, look, Asia is a big, varied place. And I appreciate every person and family is different. But if someone listening is thinking, yeah, you know what, I'm going to take my family on the road. Where are some of the ideal countries in Asia to start that are maybe, you know, good starting points, not too, too tough? Thailand. <laughs> it's got to be Thailand, isn't it? Because Thailand's so easy. You know, everything is set up. You can get a bus anywhere. You can. There's endless accommodation. There's so many different things to do. It's just really, really easy to travel in Thailand. I think it's easier than Europe. Way easier because in Europe you you normally have to have a vehicle, whereas in Thailand there's so many buses, backpacker buses, local buses. The trains are fabulous. The food is fabulous. It's cheap. And then after Thailand, I'd say Vietnam. The two are fairly similar. I think Vietnam is possibly a little bit cheaper, but not much. Uh, again, very easy to travel. And you've got so many interesting things in Vietnam with all the, um, the tunnels and the war museums. And there's some really cool ancient history in Vietnam. Um, we actually stayed in Hoi An in central Vietnam for about, I think it was about six months in the end. That was, that was the longest we've ever really settled somewhere because we really enjoyed it it was just a really lovely place to just be and if you're anyone like me or my kids I can't take my kids anywhere with bad wi-fi 
So, mm. yeah, that is an issue, actually. It's got better and better over the years. I mean, when I first went to like Asia, India, whatever, you'd have terrible Wi-Fi. Cambodia, I've still seen terrible Wi-Fi. Vietnam's got some of the best Wi-Fi I've ever seen. Uh, Sri Lanka can still be bad. India can be spotty depending on the monsoons. The, the storms will knock it out. But yeah, we need Wi-Fi. I work online. They do everything online. Um, so yeah, Wi-Fi is a big consideration. The trips we've enjoyed most in Asia, I think, have been all in the Himalayas. Um, Nepal, Bhutan, Tibet. Uh, those. That's my favourite part in the world. The kids will probably say Vietnam. Egypt, they absolutely love. And I can only get away with saying a little bits in Asia. Um, but that's they're fascinated with um, ancient history. So anywhere where there's, I mean Greece as well, obviously, but that's not in Asia. They absolutely loved Egypt. We spent a month in Egypt, going up and down the sites in the Nile. Uh, it depends on their interests again. If I mean, if some people like scenery, some people like history and cultures, and I'm I'm not a fan of scenery. So and when people say, oh look how beautiful this place is, this is lovely, I don't really get it. For me, it has to be interesting. And I think the kids are the same. Right. Okay, let's flip that question on its head then. And when I looked at your website, you mentioned something about Tibet was tough with kids. What are some of the countries in Asia that you found particularly difficult traveling as a family? Tibet was hard because, purely because we were on an organized bus tour, because that's the only way to do it. And um, the toilet breaks were not pleasant. <laughs> and one of the kids... One of the kids just flatly refused to use the public toilets because they were bad. They were bad. That was an issue. That was really, really hard to deal with. And I don't know why he refused, but he just would not. Yeah, had we been travelling independently, it would have been much easier. But because we were on a, a scheduled tour with other people, we had to... It's the structure and routine thing again. We're not good on that. We had to conform to what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. There was nothing really inherently hard about Tibet. It was wonderful. Um, there's a heavy police presence everywhere. They're, you know, they're, there's eyes on you all the time. You've got to be careful what you say. Even on the bus, they said there was a, a bug on the bus. They'd listen. It wasn't physically hard. It wasn't, the food was fine, mostly. It was the, the rest stops. That was the major problem in Tibet. <laughs> the other one that we struggle with is Malaysia because the kids and I really don't like Malaysian food and we struggle to find good food. Singapore's the same. Um, but Singapore's so Western that we, we took them to Universal Studios and saw all the sites. We didn't stay long. But Singapore's expensive. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. You mentioned Universal Studios because I was just doing an article on CM Reup. Um, and I mentioned the movie theater there just because, you know, you can see a movie here in Cambodia for $2 a seat. So you can take a family of four to the film for less than a, a single adult ticket, you know? So I think some people don't necessarily think of that. Um, but I was wondering about the food, like how do you deal with finicky kids and, and foreign foods? I haven't got finicky kids, so I don't know. But um, right. what you said about the cinemas, yes, that the, um, the cinemas, that's been a massive part of it. We'd go to Kuala Lumpur and just watch movies, you know, all those wonderful um, superhero movies. They've got amazing cinemas. And in Chiang Mai, we'd go there and they're all in English. Vietnam as well, movies in English. We'd spend a lot of time in cinemas because the kids growing up loved all those action movies. But yeah, that that whole scene is fantastic in Asia. I don't have finicky kids now. I've got... No, it's never been an issue. When we first arrived in India, they were a little bit not so cool with some of the um, spiciness. But I actually weaned them on dal. They, they've been eating curry since, you know, since they were off milk. 
but getting them used to eating curries for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, that, that took a little while. But now they love Indian food. And they were quite young then as well. I think they're about eight, nine, something like that. But they, yeah, they got there eventually. Because kids tend to want cereal and bread and all those things. So when you remove that from the diet, they, they get a bit lost. I've, I don't really feed them things like that. But when you're in a Western country, you're more likely to be in, say, uh, a hotel with a buffet breakfast, something like that. They love all that stuff. And I don't really want them eating all those pastries and cakes and things. Uh, but that's a rare thing uh, for us in Asia because we don't stay in those sort of hotels. We normally stay in a guest house or small hotel and breakfast is eggs, you know. Most kids eat eggs. I do have one friend who's got children with really bad allergies, peanuts, uh, dairy, all those things. And she managed to stay in Chiang Mai for quite a long time with her kids, but it was really, really hard. Because even if you buy food to cook at home from the markets, it's quite likely to be contaminated. And um, just from contact on the market stalls, you know, she found that really, really hard. It's not something that I had to deal with, so I don't know. Now, obviously, everyone's situation is different. Some people might have stacks of money to travel. Uh, it seems to be your living. Wondering if you have any easy wins for families to help keep the cost down if they decide to embark on an Asian family trip for an extended period. Well, you pick the cheap countries. Um, so you don't go to Singapore. You, you spend more of your time in the cheap countries and you just go to Singapore for a few days, that sort of thing. You look for child stays free deals in hotels which are very common, very easy to get. You have your child sit on your nap, lap on the bus so you don't have to buy them a bus seat if they're still little. Uh, you use the tools, uh, tools such as Skyscanner where you can um, book your flight around what's cheapest uh, or even your route. So say you're in Bangkok and you just want to go somewhere, you'd, you'd put in um, you put into Skyscanner Bangkok to anywhere and see what cheap, cheap flights were around. It might be that you can go to Vietnam for 20 bucks or whatever. I mean, flights around Asia are really, really cheap. I once flew to, I think I flew from Kuala Lumpur to Krabi once for $15 on AirAsia. That's insane. And that was that was a work trip. Yeah, just be, just be moderate in the things that you do. You're not gonna book the luxury hotels. You're gonna be staying in fairly simple accommodation, but I've never really stayed anywhere in Asia that was bad, dirty, it's always, being good but you do have to be a bit picky with the kids you've got to look out for any hazards like elect dodgy electrics um we had an incident once with a glass tabletop that was actually in australia uh, my son was um toddling and he pulled himself up on this glass and the glass slid off the tabletop so when you first check into a hotel you just look for stuff like that or you look at the room before you buy it you know make sure there's nothing no drops um no concrete steps that they could fall on nothing like that you just kind of do a bit of a risk assessment um, so you can actually stay very cheaply and not really sacrifice on much by way of comfort because the places in Asia are so good these hmm. days, they really are. We don't use hostels okay. because many hostels do have family rooms and we do use those occasionally. There's, there's one we always use in Kuala Lumpur, there's a couple in Bangkok. But mostly we find hostels more expensive because usually in a hostel you're paying per bed and that's per adult bed. So a family room in a little guest house usually works out better for us and we don't really like hostels. I don't know why we don't like hostels. It's usually the shared bathrooms. If you if you can find a hostel with um, a family room with an ensuite, great, but that will cost you more. But in most hostels there are shared bathrooms and with kids that's just 
the kids don't like it they really don't enjoy that and I don't like it and with older kids it's fine but with little ones having to help them with showers it's just no not doing that uh so yeah we mostly avoid hostels yeah okay. that's a good tip about the shared bathroom I could imagine that would be a challenge with kids but you touched on a really good point uh about checking out the hotel rooms and and like the kind of danger factors because you know in general the west i think is more childproof than asia is you know asia is more like the childhood of the 70s that i grew up in i guess but what are some ways that parents could like be more aware of like the dangers firstly we always holding a hand if we're around roads or anywhere with both crowds or markets anything like that we are always holding their hands and we're holding them tight uh i, I do have a child that kind of bolts well when he was little he doesn't anymore he's 18 um he's been known to like bolt across roads so hold on to them and if you have to use reins straps you know you can get wrist straps that you can put on your child so they just can't do that Water as well, very, very careful around water in case they fall in because they often aren't the life jackets and the, you know, the things that you would normally expect. Car seats is a big one. I mean, if you're, if you are used to your home country, your child is always in a car seat and you suddenly arrive in Thailand or Bali and there's no car seats, you might freak out. But I mean, my kids have grown up without car seats. I mean, yeah, it was a bit strange for me at first as well. But those buses, some of those buses hurtle along and particularly in Thailand and Sri Lanka. No car seats, no safety. That is a little bit of a worry. And then you go to somewhere like Nepal and the, the buses are on those precipitous drops, you know, and you're scared it's going to fall over the, the edge all the time. So, yeah, mum, mum does suffer from some anxiety. The end result was, was worth it, if you know what I mean. I, I, like, I'm terrified of high bridges, but I want to get to Everest Base Camp, so I have to cross those bridges. Um, and it's the same if I want to take my kids to Pokhara, I've got to get on that bus. And I don't really enjoy it, but it's got to be done. And I think the bus is probably safer than flying in Nepal. Uh, but if you want to stick to the safer places, I don't know, maybe Vietnam, they seem to drive quite moderately there. Uh, Thailand, they don't. Uh, other dangers, food, we never really had much problem with tummy stuff, uh, cooked food. We'd eat salads as well. We, we'd eat most things. People say avoid ice, but we always had ice. I think that was more 20 years ago. I don't think... It, I, it's all fine now, I think. That, um, the only place my husband was very sick was in... Um, I think it was Luang Prabang. They've got a night market there, and he ate something off that buffet. And I was like, don't eat that. It was it was all open buffet. But he wanted to have it, and he was really ill. He was the only one, who, one of us who had it. I wouldn't let the kids have it. And he's a chef, so he should know better. No, no major tummy issues we had to see a few doctors on the road and that was always very easy we'd just google for where's the nearest doctor it's very cheap to see a doctor privately is very cheap we did have one incident of emergency surgery my husband had to have an operation on we're on Kopanyang, but the hospital was on Kosamui, i believe he had to have an emergency surgery and that was all fine the hospital was fantastic our insurance covered it so make sure you've got good insurance Otherwise, I think it was about $12,000 for the surgery and the stay in a beautiful private hospital. No sickness that was really caused by the travel, if you know what I mean. It was just normal sickness. I mean, kids get sick whether you're at home or on the road. It's exactly the same. Um, it may be a little confronting for some parents to not have their known healthcare provider, you know, not, not really know what to do if they have to find a doctor. And But we've, we've always managed fine. And I think as well, because my background's in medicine, um, medical science, I kind of know what to do 
I know what drugs they need and you can you can buy drugs in the shops in Asia I know what needs to be treated and what doesn't so actually we very very rarely saw a doctor I think three times in six years other than my husband who put himself in hospital okay well I know that you have homeschooled your kids but let's just imagine um, a typical family whose kids go to you know the regular school system and they think we're going to take off for six months how should a family approach ensuring that their kids are still getting education while on the road and having fun I wouldn't do anything at all with regards to education absolutely nothing for just six months it's nothing it's, it's nothing my kids haven't done school for their whole lives more or less and at lockdown we put them into an online school and they just fitted in so they were what mm-hmm. 15 15 16 17 they went straight into the top end of school and it was all fine and my son's actually doing higher his A-levels now the British A-level system they it was no issue. It was a non-issue. Um, if you look at the curriculums in the school, and you can just find them online, the, the school curriculum, and see what they're actually learning term by term, year by year, it really isn't that much. And uh, mm-hmm. you can, if you feel you want to keep them doing the same things as the kids in school are doing, there are ways of doing that. You just need to find what's on the curriculum and just do it with them. It, should, it shouldn't take okay. you as long at home as it would in school, because in school you've got all those breaks and you've got all those other kids mucking about and the teacher trying to keep order. It's much quicker. I think I read somewhere that you could do the whole of school maths in like eight days or something if you had to. It's, it's, mm-hmm. It really does, you know, compress the process. If you wanted to go down the route of uh, distance education, online schooling, that sort of thing, it would ruin your trip. So I really wouldn't do that. Uh, it just takes too much time. You lose all your spontaneity. They've got to be sat in front of the computers at a certain time. You've got to submit work. I would not touch that with a very long pointy stick. Uh, we've only done that because we've been stuck here for two years and we, we were bored, basically. We were bored looking at the walls. I know, let's put them in school. And it was, it was pretty good. It was good. A lot of people tell their kids to do journaling or workbooks or something like that. My kids would rather gouge out their own eyes than do journaling. That it was never going to be... <laughs> A, start, uh, a thing they wanted to do. We did do workbooks with them sometimes. You can buy these fabulous workbooks in any country English is spoken. So I'd buy them in uh, London, in the US. I bought them in Sri Lanka. The kids are educated in English in Sri Lanka um, and India. So you can buy these workbooks or there are various online programs that aren't scheduled like an online school or uh, distance ed where you can just um, you've usually got to pay for them you buy these uh, learning resources things like uh, reading eggs um, xml maths khan academy khan academy is fabulous and free and it depends on the age of the kids right. um, my son also did some open university courses uh, he did those when he was about 12 he did meteorology mm. and just things he was interested in Uh, They're free. They're online. They're free. They're just short courses and you can just pick things you're interested in. And he happened to want to do meteorology and he did something about climate and marine biology, bits and bits and bobs of that. So we were doing that when we were in Romania in winter. So we were in the house a lot. Uh, If we were actively traveling, like we're traveling around Vietnam, Thailand, India, whatever. No, you can't do that. They're learning so much every day from everything that's around them. You know, they're, they're reading the signs. They're working out money. They're currency conversions they're so much better at currency conversions than me sure uh, that's that's how you that's how it starts rolling you know and I remember my son when he first started reading he was reading reading the signs on the tube in London we were in London one summer 
and every day he was reading those signs he just liked reading them he liked working out how many stops and that was really when he started reading and from then it went to Minecraft and in Minecraft they have to label their little constructions and that was when he really started to read and write for himself but yeah hmm. they pick it up as they go they Good really tips. do and I, I should tell you that my son in school wasn't reading. He was about seven, and he was in school, and he wasn't reading. And that was the point at which I pulled him out, and I had him reading within about three weeks. So, okay, there you go. You know, you've talked about a, about a lot of memorable trips you've had, but maybe can can you wrap things up here with us by just sharing maybe one or two of the key ones that really stick out as the most memorable? Oh, well, it's got to be Everest Base Camp, hasn't it? We actually went twice. The first time we only went as far as um, Tengboshe because the kids were really quite young and we didn't have proper shoes or gear. We just went for a walk for a few days. But the second time we did it properly and we took three weeks over it and that was just immense. It's just, it's, it's almost a spiritual thing for me being up there and the, the kids really got a lot out of it and it's very intense as well because you're walking together as a family all day every day for three weeks and the the conversations it was it was just and that's again part of how they learn you know they'll ask me about something I don't know about altitude sickness or how how do we adapt to altitude and my background being physiology I think you said psychology in the intro it's actually physiology okay obviously I can explain that to them and you know that's advanced if not university level biology that they're just asking about and that's that's how it works you, you just have more time to talk about things like that but in terms of memorable places definitely the Himalayas I mean going inside the Patala Palace in Tibet that was I mean we're all in tears not the kids they're tough but all the ladies in the group we're all like that was just so moving to actually be there and see you know the reality of it Angkor Wat's always a good one that's pretty much a must-see. The palaces and temples in Bangkok in particularly, the Grand Palace there, that's just fantastic. They love the Chi Chi tunnels. They're an amazing place to take kids. Oh, right. Fantastic. They're much braver than me. I wouldn't go in the little ones. That was the second time we'd been, actually. I went with my husband years ago, and we took the kids for a return visit. But the first time we went, they had the guns there, the, you know, the rifles. We were shooting the rifles. They didn't have it last time. I don't know if they've stopped that. India, I love India. The kids got to love India after a period of adjustment. Um, and mm-hmm. Kathmandu, Kathmandu's an amazing city. It's just beautiful. So many ancient buildings. Sure is. It's it's just yeah. you're walking through history and faith and culture, and it's just incredible. Yeah, I think those would be our favourite places. Vietnam's a big one for us as well. Okay, you've hit some great ones. Well, just as we wrap up here, we're going to have links on our website to your site, but can you just briefly tell us a little bit about World Travel Family, how you got it started and what it is? Well, it's worldtravelfamily.com, and I started it just for fun. I, I, I had no knowledge of the website creation industry at all. I started it uh, to try and encourage people, really, to get to travel. I spoke before about misconceptions and prejudice. I, I wanted people to know what it was really like, not because we'd heard so many negative comments about traveling in Asia from a few people, actually, and we wanted to put that right. And I wanted to help people with the educational side of things as well, because I was quite involved with that. So yeah, I started it for fun. And a few months in, I was making quite a lot of money. And I sort of realized the potential. And I, I took it from there and built it up into a business that supported our family for those last years. The early years, it didn't cover costs. 
But the, the, mm-hmm. the last sort of four or five years, it certainly did cover costs. Uh, I'm still doing it today. Obviously, COVID has knocked it back significantly. It's, sure. Things are coming back now. The, the, we're in a tourist destination. We can see the tourists coming through. We're starting to see the first few from the US, UK, starting to come to Australia again. It was dead. There was nobody here. Yeah, so that's coming back now. I'm still doing the website. I'm still trying to help people travel. Uh, I also have other websites. I have eight websites actually. Uh, we've started. Yeah, I know. We've um, because we bought a farm. We've we've started a sort of homesteading, gardening, farming website called tropicalfoodgarden.com, which we're building. We're also taking campers, which is great because I was. We've been involved with the travel scene for so many years. You miss it, you know. So at first we were doing couch surfing, and we'd have kids just come and camp in the garden or whatever, just for free. And it was just nice to still be a part of that travelling scene. So now we get the campers staying here on our land, and we get to meet different people, which is quite cool. Uh, hopefully we'll get back to travel at some point. But right now I've got three bottle lambs, about a million chickens, and three cats. So I can't really go anywhere for a while. <laughs> but I will. I will okay. most certainly. And I think with the state of the airlines at the moment, with these cancellations it's not it's just not feasible i need to go home to the uk and that would be like a, a four-leg flight because i'm not going to fly the expensive way i'm going to go kuala lumpur sure. bangkok dubai romania london a lot cheaper about grand and a half cheaper one of those is bound to be cancelled so i'm i'm just not doing that at the moment but as soon as things sort themselves out yes i will most definitely be back out there it's my job it's what i love i do love my lambs as well but yeah i'll be back out there okay Great. Well, thanks for sharing so much interesting insight, Alison. Really neat life you and your family has led, and I wish you luck getting back on the road when the time's here. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Hey, Scott. Well, that was some interesting insight. Again, uh, with neither of us having kids, uh, we couldn't really do this episode without a guest. So it was cool that we had a guest who was able to share (laughs) some of our insight for travelers who do, because I imagine that people do want to travel after they have kids. And maybe some people aren't sure exactly how to do all of the different ins and outs. Yeah, indeed. We're sort of, you know, again, two people without kids preaching about traveling with kids. But I think the main takeaway for me was that not being in school for a while isn't the end of the world, right? And I have a lot of friends with kids, and I know that when they've considered coming here, they're like, oh, there's school and this and that. And I think it is probably one of those things that is is doable and is achievable, right? And if you think about it, like the world won't end. They can probably pick up the things they miss later. They can probably learn a lot of it on the road. And what they're going to learn while on the road is far outstrips anything they're going to learn in that traditional Western classroom. So in a way, I think it's a it's a bit of a mental leap and gap that people have to get through and then just figure out, well, how can I make this happen? And how can I make it work? And I'm sure the school board will let the kids in, you know, six months later, a year later and take a test and, and so forth. So those challenges are very surmountable. It's it's kind of a bit more of a mental gap. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I, you're right. She's She said, you know, different kids are different. Totally true. Parents are different. Totally true. Destinations are different. Also true. I guess it's a learning experience for everyone. I mean, that is one of the great things about travel is that uh, you learn about yourself. You learn about others. Um, for those of us who have traveled with traveling companions, even if it's not kids, man, like you travel with a two or three of your old college buddies, like it's like traveling with kids. It's, you know, sometimes it's herding cats. Sometimes it's the clash of personalities. Sure. But, you know, on her website, she does have a lot of really good content, a lot of very tip specific content. Um, so, you know, I think it was an interesting episode and I, I hope it helps some of our listeners. 
Yeah, it sure does. And I like the countries she mentioned as kind of the, the easier ones, you know, the Thailands, the Vietnams, Nepal was interesting. We've been to them all. So yeah, a very interesting guest. Be sure to check our show notes. Uh, we'll have links to her site. It's a great resource and uh, fun to branch out into things that you and I aren't specifically involved in and uh, yeah, interesting conversation. So we hope you enjoyed it. If you do be sure to click donate on our show page, go to patreon.com search talk travel Asia and sponsoring the show. will get you a special bonus episode or something, something in between each of these ones. So take us out of this thing, Trevor. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, we'll be back in two weeks uh, with an episode with Scott and I, and then we have a bunch of new guests queued up for you in the subsequent weeks. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll be back here with you soon. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cam-